To celebrate the holiday season and wrap up our third season of Pitch List, we're giving away a gorgeous songwriting journal signed by me, Amy, and select guests from this season. Use it to capture any or all of your songwriting inspiration and lyrics. The winner will also receive an official Pitch List mug, guitar picks, and a personal handwritten note from yours truly. To enter, just follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Pitch List Podcast. Like our giveaway post and drop a comment letting us know what songwriter or musician has inspired you this year. Do the same on all three contest posts and get bonus entries in the giveaway. We'll announce the winner on social media on December 23rd. Happy holidays and good luck. And now, on to the show. Hey everybody, Chris Lindsay here, and you're listening to Pitch List. We want to discover what makes creative people tick. Join us as we explore what it means to be a writer, and more importantly, what it means to be a person. Remember why you love music, and welcome to Pitch List. Hey, Chris Lindsay here, and you're listening to Pitch List. We've had an incredible season this year, and we're ending it with a bang. Our guest today is a trip. He began his songwriting career as a college philosophy professor and finally ended up in Nashville writing songs for Miranda Lambert, Dirks Bentley, Casey Musgraves, and Eric Church. Along the way, he's made his own records, absolute gems full of snark and revelry. He has a documentary out called Red Dog about his adorable ex-stripper mom and the iconic Oklahoma City strip joint where he grew up. Tomorrow, his new record from the film comes out. It's full of great songs and incredible duets. He's a -a one-of-a-kind artist, even more than the real deal. Here's Luke Dick. Good morning. Chris Lindsay here on Pitch List, another pandemic Zoom episode of Pitch List, the podcast. I've been looking forward to this one for, for a while. Ever since I heard about your interview, man, I've been stoked. This is Luke Dick. How are you, man? Man, I'm good. I'm I'm uh, I'm getting by pretty good. You know, I I have any kind of cereal that I want to buy, I could just go buy it. <laughs> I drink. I buy the good milk. Right, not the uh, off-brand milk. No Kroger brand milk for me anymore. I'm straight yeah. purity the whole time. That hit songwriter milk you got there. <laughs> And the good Get that Nashville money coming that's in. Right. That's a, that's, move to Nashville, kids. <laughs> yeah. Be, hey, man, I've always said I, I I think it's a genius plan. You can write cool songs, and you you have never made any compromise in your work. And you you write these really cool country things that work, and then you've got your own side career that I I would imagine that gives you all the freedom in the world to do whatever you want. And I think it's a great great way to do it. Um, I'm guessing. Well, you know, I, I, um, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to call it charmed because it's a lot of work, you know, it's always a lot of work no matter what you do. Um, and sometimes you feel free and sometimes you don't feel so free. Um, and I feel like that's just, that's just life. But, um, I will say that 
you know, it takes work, but it also takes a lot of luck and it takes a lot of great people around you too. And I have a lot of great people around me who help me navigate um, because it's real easy um, to be an idiot and not know what to do with the things that you have and to have people who help you curate and cultivate and get in there and write songs with you. This town to me has really welcomed me. And um, I have a lot of true collaborators that I count as friends and um, anyway, happy to be alive. Yeah. And well, and I think it's just from my perspective, it's just what you do is so great, man. It's just so great. You hear shades of Tom Petty a little bit and some of that kind of stuff, but there's also like a manicness to what you do that I just love, man. There's like a sort of punk <laughs> spirit, you know, in, in all of your stuff that is just fantastic. I don't know. You, you know, um, anytime you write, you know, that you've gravitated towards something or, or influences. And then hopefully at some point um, you've found a voice in there. And I don't know if sometimes it feels like whatever I would say in the bathroom, you know, to yourself. And then you say it one time in a songwriting session and somebody says, oh, that's a great line. Like, oh, you like that shit? <laughs> and you just, I don't know. Then you cultivate yourself a little bit more and read some books and, you know, and read the papers and, and try to find nuggets out there, you know, that you can chase down um, and that mean something and resonate to you. And I've tried to do things, um, I guess for the market sometimes, and it doesn't really work. It are only songs that ever seem to get cut are the ones that I give a shit about. And I, some, I feel pretty lucky about that. You know, sometimes you can get into, well, this is the thing and this is what I have to sing about or whatever. And so, um, I mean, Nashville songwriting is certainly a keyhole. Um, but that keyhole is infinite too. You know, it's, uh, there's many places to go in there and I, that's i love the form and i love songs and yeah man well i think it's a great thing you said uh because uh for songwriters out there it's a great thing to think of and i've heard the story you know we hear the story all the time on our podcast you're you know the things that you're saying, the songs that you care about, the songs you like, that those are the ones that are working. I think there's a little bit of this myth out there that you have to sell out or compromise or do something that's not so taste or, you know, that you might not love in order to make money as a songwriter. And I, and I, I really haven't seen that, you know, my experience as a writer and people that I've known like you, it's not true. People love your authentic self, you know? I, I think that people can smell it a mile away and yeah. And if it's um, if bars and hookups over cigarettes and booze or whatever, which is, I mean, it's sort of a common story or something in a in a sort of a younger country song. If that's what compels you, then fucking write it. I mean, it may not it's not, not going to please everybody, um, but that it's going to it might please somebody. And if it does please somebody and it pleases you, then write that stuff if that's what feels good to you. Um, so I find the things that feel good to me and I, I sort of chase them down, you know. I'm really curious about this, how you balance your career as an artist, right? And from looking through, and I've been aware of you for 
several years now, and but really preparing for your interview, I mean, you've got a lot of country cuts, man. You know, I mean, you're not dabbling in that. You know what I mean? How do you split your time between you as an artist and like your the documentary you have out and uh, versus writing for Eric Church or with Miranda or these kind of things? I mean, I feel like I kind of had to talk about my publisher because I felt like that was the first time I ever came across somebody who knew how to direct me in some way that could be um, both authentic and of service in some way um, to somebody else's muse or that your muse is aligned with somebody else's muse. And when I moved, I I had a Nashville 1.0, which was... I would say commercially unsuccessful, but it was developing in terms of the narrative form of knowing what, how to write a song or, or, or whatever, but I just could never get a grip on how to navigate the business and moved away um, with no intention of ever coming back. And I was going to go, I had a master's degree. I thought I would go get a PhD and I'd be a professor for the rest of my life. And somewhere around there, um, you know, just nutshelled, I ended up meeting my publisher um, in some travels back to Nashville. And he said, and I was making records that I liked. And he said, I love what you do. I want you to do what you do. And I said, okay. Um, By then I was five years into interviews and stuff for the, for the Red Dog, the documentary. And, and I would just balance whatever rights that he would set up um, I would balance those um, with the things that I did. And then somewhere a couple of years into that relationship, I, I started, um, Hey Steve, which was just some guy showed up and I was into the cars and I was into this very minimalistic style of writing two minute songs or whatever. And mm-hmm. so I, it became an interesting form to me and an interesting voice. And I wanted to keep at it. And so it's, it, you just, life finds a way to me to to balance your schedule for you. And if you start feeling like you don't want to do something, I don't want to write like that right now. I don't have any more ideas. I just fill my calendar up with something else, you know, to get out of there or I'm going away for a week to do interviews. And luckily my publisher, before I had cuts, he wasn't breathing down my neck to say, you need to do this or you need to do that. Just that here are the rights. Here's something that could happen here if you think this way about the right. And then I would turn in songs and he said, this is great. I'm going to show this to Eric. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're writing with Eric and then, right. Um, and then it, it works, you know, and you end up with, so, and then that it works again and then it works again and then it works again, you know, hopefully, but I mean, that's what happened to me. Um, yeah. And your publisher is smart and he kind of, exposed you to to the uh, expose the right artist to what you're doing they kind of become fans of you and then you collaborate with them yeah that that's, that's a great way to do it yeah yeah and, and he had relationships with eric he signed eric to his i think his first publishing deal and his artist deal and then he was signed dirks to his deal and then and you start meeting other people who say you should come over here and do try this and most of the time rights fail um they fail in getting something truly extraordinary because something truly extraordinary only comes along a few times a year to me um right if you're lucky maybe just one you know and then you have this whole 
slew of B minus, C plus, D, a couple of D's in there, you know, that you're just trying it. And to me, I don't want to call those failures. They're just practice for the extraordinary kind of, that's what I'm hoping that they are is this practice for the extraordinary because you can start in a room where you don't really feel the idea. It's like, all right, I feel like a cat in a corner here. I would just kind of like to go get a hot dog right now and bail on this whole situation. Um, but it's like, no, your, your brain needs exercising in terms of let's get this. I let's see if we can chase this idea and, um, and your mind practices it at, at uh, rhythm. Your mind practices at um, rhyme. Your mind practices at phrasing and stuff like this. So I, it's all part of a practice to me. And, I love that analogy. Yeah, it's kind of like the military. You know, they're not at war, but they're drilling. You know, and, and like your mind and your subconscious doesn't really know whether you're on a hit song or not. So you're really just building those muscles to go through that process of chasing an idea and bagging it and getting it done. And then every now and then you get on something that's pure magic, you know. Yeah. And sometimes I've been on I've been a writer on songs that I didn't know were gonna be hits, you know what I mean? That might have been. Sometimes that, you don't know in the room. And that's the other thing, is like, well, it's happened the way the way it's happened is that I've loved everything that has actually been a radio single. And so um, as I was writing it, but I've also heard other people who didn't know what they were doing. And then they were like, I had no idea that was going to be a hit. And so then you're like, well, you second guess your impulse, your intuition. It's like, well, I'm going to try to make this the best I can, knowing that there are possibilities that you can't understand out there to right. chase it down and, and, there goes a day so what in the in you know in retrospect you forget about the work that it how hard it was you know it was when I was driving forklift they'd call for overtime and I inevitably always had had to work it because I needed the money you know it's like peanut butter was a struggle and you know just like yep. a decade ago and so it's like they call for it and I just would tell myself that's four more fucking hours on this forklift and hauling whatever and, you know, getting sweaty up in the back of trucks. <clears throat> but pretty soon uh, it'll, it won't be long before this is just a memory I forget about, you know, and mm -hmm. I need the money more than I need the pleasure of being on, you know, or the, the displeasure of being on this forklift for another four hours. And so sometimes it is a forklift drive, you know, and you just got to keep driving until the fucking clock rings, you know? <laughs> Yeah, but it's also um, another great analogy. And I, I, I did construction. That uh, was my gig. And um, to this day, when I get into a session where somebody's starting to moan about something or we don't want to put a second afternoon into it, I always think back to those times and just like, come on, man. You know what? It's, yes, it's hard. Songwriting will definitely hurt your head. No question about it. I mean, it definitely. But, I mean, it's still a great gig. You know what I mean? It's, it's, a great gig. it's just like, I don't really have any sympathy for moaning about songwriting. I don't. It's a, it, it is a curious anxiety. You know, it's not like a forklift where they're here, are all the boxes out here and they need to go inside there. Right. Um, here are all the pipes out here. You need to feed them on the top of these boxes, whatever. It's, it's um, murky, murky places. I woke up yesterday knowing that I have a few days with a big artist that I'm so compelled by this artist that I want to be, I want to come in swinging with great ideas. And I'm like, I got, you know, I've been logging them down. Right. And I had 
fucking, you know, it's like, well, I got to pick up the cleaners and my computer's not working right. And my studio's not working. right. I got to get this. I'm just trying to, but the, uh, this undertone of anxiety um, of needing to do something great. And I called a friend who's kind of does these meditations. Right. And so we just chase this down. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, new age on you for just a second and uh she was like well what was this anxiety like and I, you know where is it like it's kind of in my belly you know and and a little bit in the back of my head and she was like well what do you, you know and it, all of a sudden you know you try to breathe through it and just mm-hmm. get all the clutter out of your head you know just focus on breathing for a second and i've been watching been watching uh uh, the crocodile hunter lately with my kid. Yeah. He, he's obsessed with snakes. I love snakes too. And, and so yeah. we'll watch these snakes and ha- hang on with me here. And so he says, uh, crocodile hunters like out there in the middle of the bush looking for the Taipan. Right. And he finds this Taipan. And I used to think it's just so crazy. He's right up next to the snake next to his fucking face. You know, this thing could bite him. He'd be dead out in the bush. You know? <laughs> but he's like, he, he just has this real love for these things. He's an advocate of animals. He loves reptiles. He loves all animals. And he's like talking about, you know, he's like, I can tell that she doesn't fear me anymore. You know, there, there's not a threat right now. I can feel in her, I can see in her body language. I can feel. And, and then sometimes he's out in the bush. He never finds the thing that he's looking for. And I'm like, wow, that's such a good analogy for songwriting to me. It's just like you're out there. And if you just know the places to look, you know the topography. Where do they eat? Where do they, you know, where do these ideas eat? Where do they breathe? What, um, what kind of weather do they like? You know, this kind of thing. If you can just find those conditions, you just might find a fucking Taipan, you know. And some days you kind of come home empty-handed, you know, but you looked, you know, you just went right. for it. And, and you and- keep going and you keep going. And you go right. every day and you don't quit. You don't ever, that's what I always say. You never quit and you never... You don't cancel. You don't, you know, you go to work. Got to go to work. I, I agree. That's, you know, and it kind of helped just knowing that if you create the right conditions for something that it, that it can, it, you could do something that compels you and then hopefully compels other people, you know? Yeah, man. It's really great advice. Hey, you said something that I didn't know about and I want to talk master's degree. What's your, you have a master's degree? Yeah. I, um, In what? in philosophy lord yeah um, that's oh my god that's that's great yeah you were preparing for a phd or I was, thinking about I was, it you know I, I went and took some interviews at some places and i was teaching with a master's you can teach i mean it's a pittance but you can go teach and so i was teaching all over in manhattan i taught some in nashville and and um taught as a grad student in oklahoma and uh so it just life kind of led led me it, music started making money and my adjunct career was enough to to pay the bills for the time being you know mm-hmm. and so money started coming in you know and it was like i don't really want to go i like teaching but the kind of books you have to read i mean philosophy is really a really a great thing but it's much it's a lot less um magical then people make it out to be the word sounds so esoteric and it is esoteric, but people make it out to be this sort of, you're going to find all the keys to life or some shit like that in there. But it's not that it's like, here are all the possible ways of thinking about 
right and wrong. Here are all the possible ways of thinking about how the mind actually thinks at all. You know, it's like here right. are these organisms out there, right? And all this data coming in and light and somehow we have objects and I recognize a fucking plant. How does that even occur? How does that even happen? So that, that was, it, it became an attraction in a different way after I got into it. And I'm still really thankful for my education. Um, though I, I don't know necessarily that it has anything to do with um, artistic, ex, artistic expression because it's so analytical and artistic is, art, artistic expression and intuition is such a different thing altogether to me. Um, yeah, but you're, I, yes, but philosophy, any of that, that you're down, you're down underground with mm -hmm. that. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're tunneling, you're down there where it's happening. I, I get that it is analytical, but it's, it's, I would think philosophy would bring you closer to the songwriting experience than a lot of stuff. I will say, um, I wrote a song, um, this year is one of my favorite songs and nobody would cut it called, uh, called carrot. And my, <laughs> my co-writers came in and I said, I just have this idea. It's called carrot. And they're like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, well, it's, it's this idea that um, it's the myth of Sisyphus, right? And in the myth of Sisyphus, I forget why Sisyphus gets condemned to Hades, what he did, but he goes down into Hades and, and his, his eternal, um, his eternal punishment for whatever he did was to push a rock up a hill. And then when he gets it up to the top of the hill, it just rolls down to the bottom and then he has to push it back up again. And then it rolls back down and he pushes it back up. And, and this philosopher in the 60s, uh, existentialist named Camus, writes this book called... Uh, he's called... A Stranger. Yeah, yeah, he wrote The Stranger and the Myth of Sisyphus, in which he talks about life and meaning because there is such a aspect of life of pushing a rock up a hill just to watch it roll down. And, uh, and so you, you make the bed and then you mess it up and you make it again and then you break up and then you make up and then, and it's like, okay, this is what we're doing. It's just mm -hmm. rotation. And so it was like, I think we can do this in a country song. And it was, uh, the chorus is, uh, you know, buy some, drink some, smoke them if you got them. Life's just changed and there's a hole in my pocket. Um, uh, time has just changed and there's a hole in my pocket and, uh, life just, a, uh, we'll see, uh, pocket. I'm just a, uh, I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a worker, you know, pulling on a carriage and life's just a cane pole dangling a carrot. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> really fun. And then there's this, you know, sort of part about pushing rocks up hills and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, I, you should identify with that, you know. Man, it's all coming together for me now because I made some notes. There's a video, a song of yours. I think it's Who I Am. When yeah. You're dressed up with the sort yeah. of skeleton face. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, uh, when I first saw it, I'm like, am I looking at a country guy who is talking about the duality of man's nature and actually portraying his own subconscious? <laughs> and then I was thinking that, no, that's not possible. But now after I've been interviewing you, that's exactly possible. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was what it is. You know, this sort of ego inside that's like this thing that wants to compete all the time mm -hmm. and wants to beat and wants to win. And yeah. that 
thing that it's like that fire inside you. It's almost this like almost golemy thing inside of you, but it's such a part of who you are. And also it gets things done, but then it's kind of gross too, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, and the more you let it out, the, the further you go in life, but people who let it out too much get all kind of personal problems. Yeah, it's a weird balance. Yeah. Know? It's a weird balance, but that little inner, I call it your subconscious or whatever, I guess it's been called a lot id or whatever, whatever. Yeah. but, but, but it's that little part of you that it's not little either. It, it, it can take over and just kick ass basically yeah. if it, you let it. You got to check it or you're going to be, but you got to check it. You know, nobody's yeah. going to, I mean, who wants to be around that guy, you know? Right. Well, I love the video and I love the song, man. I, I think uh, it's all coming together for me now. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. <laughs> who was that German philosopher? Was it a German philosopher recently who came up with the, uh, the virtual sim the simulation theory? Um, well, or that, or was that guy, Matt? I think he was, wasn't he? Well, that, that, I mean, like that kind of a simulation theory dates back to the middle of the 16th century. Um, Descartes, which is called, that's called the birth of modern philosophy, modern philosophy being in the, in the 16, early 1600s mm -hmm. to the 17th century, early 1600s. This guy says, I can't like the senses fail me. Right. And what can I be? If the senses fail you, your logic fails you all the time. You know, I can't trust any of this shit. I like, well, how do I figure out truth in the midst of all that? And, and, and so he breaks it and, and that it could be an illusion, you know, that, 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 that the things that you're seeing could be an illusion, like putting a stick in water, it looks bent, right? Why mm -hmm. couldn't everything be bent that's coming in through the senses? And so he doubts everything that it could be. Um, I mean, he doesn't say a simulation because he wouldn't have that concept in the middle of the 16th century, but I mean, when he says, I think, therefore I am, this is a quote that gets misused all the time, but it's like, that was the one truth that he could boil things down to. Well, I'm, I am a thing who's thinking these things, no matter if they're true or false. So at, at least all I know is that I am on basically. I am, right. <laughs> I am some creature um, in my, the whole notion of past self or all this or, or the history or something, this could be an illusion. It's possible that it's an illusion, you know, mm -hmm. um, that is a possible. And so he chased down that possibility for fucking 600 pages or so. So anyway, go knock yourself out if you want to. Um, but I mean, <laughs> I, and I will, I've been, I go down to the, I go down the YouTube rabbit hole often that one quantum physics and simulation theory, uh, that that those uh, just really bother me. I spend a lot of time uh, with those. I uh, I don't. I'm not saying I get it. I'm just saying I'm I just kind of like well. I didn't now. Now it's just like you know, it kind of just floats around in my head. You know, you teach things for a while too, and it really commits it to memory. And, and I say really commits it. I'm nowhere near an expert in philosophy anymore, or if I ever was um, an expert, I guess, compared to most people, you know, that you run across in, in daily life. But when you get into a university, somebody who really studies that stuff um, and they're it, and also they're really kind of weird people, too. Right. Who, I've it, met a few. Yeah, I mean, that's what you're going to do with your whole life. You're going to be in a vacuum because nobody wants to talk about that shit most of the time. Yeah, I had a philosophy 101 in college, guy with a super long beard, and 
it's like an 8 a.m. class. It's like my first college class ever. And the guy walks in and he's like, he slams his thing down. It's literally eight in the morning. And he, he's like a serious hippie, you know, and he slams his shit on the desk and goes, I'm going to be honest with you right now. This is the last fucking place in the world I want to be. <laughs> it's the first thing he said. So, so, so if any of you assholes are thinking about falling asleep or not paying attention, don't even think about it. It's hard to read, too. I mean, these are antiquated languages almost. Yes. I mean, it's English, or it might be translated to English from French in the case of Descartes, but also if you don't understand the history of who they're talking to, kind of because they read a book and they're talking to that book that was from 1550 or whatever. And so I was lucky to have some really good teachers who were mm -hmm. able to point that out and also help you exegetically, they call it, to go through texts and to see the historical continuities that are happening there in terms of the history of ideas or whatever and i don't know it was a great education um i was i was happy with it and it took a while to pay off but here i am thanks for listening everybody pitch list will be right back we'll be doing a q a with dana and i on instagram this tuesday december 8th to celebrate the end of the season and answer any questions you guys have about songwriting, hear your favorite moments and episodes from the season, and take suggestions for season four. Join us at Pitchlist Podcast on Instagram. I think it's like the perfect pedigree for a great songwriter, honestly. But before we go, I, you and I, I would just take you down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. But mm -hmm. I want to talk about this because uh, when this interview airs, I think will be a day before or a day after you release uh, a new record, right? Yeah. From your documentary, Red Dog. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that, man. I come from a, um, a long line of educated people. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't come, I don't there's only one other person in my entire family and he's dead now who had a college education. And my mother went to the ninth grade and um, she moved to Oklahoma and started working at this place in the seventies called the red dog, which is a topless joint that's been there since the sixties and, and still there open today. And it was kind of an infamous rite of passage in Oklahoma city. Um, and it's where she met my biological dad it's where she met the stepdad who ended up raising me um and a lot of family friends were around there and i didn't think anything of it as a kid you know you don't think of, think anything of anything when you're a kid but um, my mother's a really candid person and i just started asking her questions about her life when she was in her 20s and um she's such a great storyteller and honestly has um i mean i'm a performer but she has so much charisma, you know, she really could have been um, a person that that could have been a, a performer that much charisma. And that was kind of her dream. She, she said she wanted to be a, a uh, one of these ladies with the feathers and stuff out in Vegas, you know, ah. so, um, um, you know, sort of these glitzy dancers. And, and she said, you know, um, I moved to Oklahoma City, you know, I didn't get to Vegas, but I made it to Oklahoma City. And and worked out her time there and so in the film i'm interviewing people dancers from the 70s so all these women are 60 to 70 years old now and so it's been their life that started in a really um i don't know if it's misunderstood is the right um word but um i don't 
really think it's ever been treated in this way as these are just people with jobs, you know, and then lifestyles that are, that are hard and then people coming out of it and some people not making it out of it, you know? And so I wanted to ch chase down the roots a little bit of where, where she came to be. And it's, you know, it's just this weird thought to think that if a, a topless bar in Oklahoma city didn't exist, I wouldn't exist. <laughs> that is, uh, that is kind of the crux of it. And it's, I'm in the film as sort of the narrator in a way, um, sort of the interviews that, that, that pull it together. And I did the soundtrack for it and all the sound beds. And I shot the film with a partner. Um, and we, um, really just had such an extraordinary time getting to know people. It took me all over the place. I went down to Costa Rica and found this dancer and they were having a, uh, reunion with other red dog dancers and these it's somebody's 70th birthday and I'm zip lining through the Costa Rican jungle with these ladies, you know, and they're telling me about their past and their kids and the thing, their regrets and their hopes and their, you know, uh, their life and their fears. And then, you know, some real amazing triumphs too. So, um, it's, I love the film. Um, I won some awards with it at film festivals and it came out this year available, you know, whatever Hulu or Prime. it's on Hulu, right? I've got Hulu, in my notes. Amazon and all that. So you yeah. Can, so it's everywhere. It's easy to find. But so, um, I had made a lot of the soundtrack when I made the film and some of, some of the songs were half done, you know, you don't need a whole song the whole time. And so I'm just sort of just cobbling together the film, but, through friends of mine here in Nashville, I'm just like, I don't know if this is ever going to make you any money, but I'm really into this. If you're into it, we can take a crack at one of these songs that I need. And so now it's all done and ended up getting some of my artist friends on there. Some like Miranda Lambert's on a song with me and Dirks and Natalie Hamby and Patrick Carney, the black keys. And um, anyway, I, I really love it. And I'm, it's a, the first record I've ever released where I'm like, this actually needs to be a record. This is, it's not like I just cut my best songs or something like this. This is a record about these people. And I've also wanted to have like some bangers in there. You know, it's like, this, mm -hmm. is, this is me sort of harnessing 1978, 1982 in music. And there's, you know, it's country and rock and, and all the things that I loved as a kid too. That's fantastic, man. I cannot wait to hear the record. Um, I've got, I've, I started this morning where they send us a link. Yeah. Um, and the film looks amazing. Amy and I are going to watch it tonight. Um, it seems like you're sort of on a journey to sort of put together who you are and where you came from, you know? Thought, and Yeah. I thought that's what it was, but really it just became... <sighs> more of like this sort of love letter to my mo mom in a way, you know, it's just like, I mean, you get to know your mom, you get to sit there and ask her all these questions and you see her. I mean, you, you're, it's like an hour long interviews about all she could handle. But I mean, there were probably eight of those, you know, mm -hmm. so you got eight to 10 hours of interviewing your mom through these heartbreaking love affairs or, or whatever that led, I can't do this anymore. I need to go marry, the, you know, I can't marry you any, I can't be married to you. I, you know, I can't live this lifestyle. I can't 
I live in this cir- circumstance. I'm so happy. I'm so that, you know, and it's so you, you see the sort of the, your lineage of, you know, your psychological lineage and you see a really beautiful person, you know, you get to see people and that's really what it became to me. Um, that, and it, I didn't find that as per- per- particularly like cathartic in a way when I was doing the interviews, I just found it fascinating and heartwarming. And then when actually when I was doing the sound beds and doing all the sounds and the music for the, the film all alone, I'd write during the day and then come out here at night after I put the kids to bed and it'd be nine o'clock and I'd work however long I could until I just passed out one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. And, and I'd be out here hearing her tell a story, you know, about splitting up with my biological dad or whatever, and you're scoring something like that. And, that's kind of when it hit me when it was the most meaningful personally to me was when you are the one creating the music for the soundtrack of your, of your mother's life. And I guess by extension, your own life. And it's like all the powers that you could muster and musical powers and of, of sonics of sounds of words of whatever to put music to this. Um, it all sort of, um, came to this one point of making that film. Um, and that was really moving to me. I mean, I, I got really emotional out here. I thought I was going crazy for a couple of days. I really did. It was just like, I don't, I don't, it's hard to, I don't cry a lot, you know, but mm-hmm. it was just like a lot, man. It was just like, I was out here and I'm just watching her pour her soul out and, you know, and tell a story. And, and to just hear just a pad underneath there, you know, it's like, this is my musical representation of what you're saying right now. Right. And something about that was just so fulfilling, so cathartic and so meaningful in a way that words can't describe to, and I'm just so incredibly earnestly happy that I spent all that time doing that, even if it never made a fucking dime. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't care. I didn't come into it with a big Hollywood budget or any shit like that. I'm funding it by myself. I'm making the record by myself with friends and stuff like that. It's like, I don't care. This is worth telling. And so that's, that's what I did. And that is where the meaning came to me. Well, it's fantastic, man. And it sounds like your mom is just great. I mean, that, that environment, I've always thought about this, you know, you, in that environment, people, I think, cause I've, I've known, I've had some, 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 uh, friends and a couple family members who've worked in that area and that environment, people understand life better, you know, there's not a, that it's easy, but that they do. There's such a, um, um, transparency i mean it's like almost a literal transparency of having no clothes on right um and and you can you think of that as an analogy too and i felt like that through the interviews that these people just um said what was on their mind there were no subtleties happening you know right and that's something that i can really appreciate especially in a business like the music business where it's like oh yeah we really like that or uh, uh, um, you know, artists gets your art, you know, you produce an artist, they get signed to a label. Oh yeah. You never, they never tell you what they really think or if they're going to, you know, if they're going to put out a record, you don't know what 
but you don't get the closed door conversation of things and you, and everything's an open door with these people. So mm-hmm. it was like really refreshing to me to get that. Did you, and so you found like you, I mean, I'm sure you did find some new understanding of your mother and what she went through and. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it is a new understanding, but you know, it's like, there's something my mother and I've been so close. It's like, you know, your mother, um, and it, none of it was surprising to me. Um, but it's like saying my mother's a great woman and that's a very general statement, but Mm -hmm. then you find the particularities, you know, what is great about her. She did that. She whooped this dude's ass with a fucking pool cue because he was being demeaning to a dancer. That's fucking great. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've uh, I've I've known some ladies that worked in that business. I think it gets really hard for them to like men, you know. Yeah, because they're they're in an environment with men where men are just at their absolute worst, you know. It can bring out the worst. That kind of it environment does. can bring out the worst in men. Um, Absolutely, it can also bring out strangely. I don't, I mean, I shudder to say say this, but it can bring out bring out the best in people too. And you know, my, one another, my mother is great. Unpack that sentence. Um, another sense of greatness that I that I really got a, a grip on is that all these people that were really shitty to my mother through her life. She still has fond. She still, if if you ever had a moment of fucking fondness and and realness with my mom, she's mm-hmm. gonna hold on to that, and and she's going to appreciate that, and she'll take she'll take you to the grave in her heart with that fondness that she had, no matter what fucked up thing might have happened between the two of you, and that is brilliant. Um, yeah, is really the best. Uh, one of the best qualities I feel like you can have to have joy for yourself in life. And she comes by it naturally and she didn't mm-hmm. have a great upbringing. And so to be able to, to have that kind of lemonade is, is really, really extraordinary to me. Yeah. My wife, uh, Amy is like that. I I'm not like that, but my wife, Amy is like that. And she's like it naturally. She had a very difficult childhood and I, but I think she is just genetically predisposed to move on. And every morning she wakes up as a brand new day and she's happy. It's like infuriating sometimes because <laughs> I, don't, I wake up pretty grumpy and she's like bouncing on the bed. How are you? I'm like, Oh God, you know, but I'm so grateful because she'll usually turn me around. You know, I've always thought this and this is, I guess maybe philosophical in nature, but um, you know, there's this sort of nature versus nurture argument when it comes to people yeah, and, you know, once you have kids, you can start to see the differences in people at a really microscopic level, and how um, they—they're not just blank tablets. They come. No, they come fully <laughs> intact. Yeah, some kind of some kind of program happening. I hate to call people and brains programs, but it's like they have predispositions, these organic predispositions of some sort, and you—and that's just fucking luck. And, you know, it's like, I believe that you have the power to do things, uh, that there is such a thing as free will. Um, but I might think, um, more than other people that it's, um, it is less, um, less dominant maybe 
than 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 others think it is because of things like predispositions and yeah sort of um, where you where you were born in society you know and it's like wow what 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 a stroke of luck you know I have all these addictions in my family and I don't I I could go the rest of my life not without touching a drop of alcohol if I wanted to um, I've never been addicted to drugs how the fuck is that possible luck I mean, luck, number one. Mm-hmm. I, I like pleasing people enough that I wanted to please my mom, so I didn't do what she told me not to do most of the time. You know, I mean, I had a, rowdy, right. a rowdy high school, but that it was always the feeling of, want, of, of wanting something different or, or whatever. And it's hard to know what's freedom and what's disposition and all of that. And I'm not really compelled by the argument that there that everything is just this free will choice of everything it's just like you 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 know you you just there's there's real i i think that there's real luck and real fortune in this life just to be and born a certain way you know i agree and there's uh floating around right now and you'll see it in tv and movies and uh (coughs) this idea of determinism you know Mm -hmm. the idea that uh, you know, we are that we don't really have free will because we can only be the sum of our experiences, right? And every experience, every thought, every even if it's contrary, whatever it is, the sum of our experiences and at this moment will completely dictate what we're going to do. If you had a computer big enough to program every piece of data involved, then it would predict exactly. Google sure got my fucking number. You know, they know when I'm ready for a couch, you know. They, yes. And then they know when I'm ready for a sale. They, they seem to know when my BMI check's coming in, you know. You know, there's that, <laughs> that, new, there's that new documentary called The Social Dilemma, mm-hmm. and these guys are the experts in that business. Yeah. Basically, one of these dudes said, the smartest people in the world are working on Google algorithms so that will exactly what you just said. We are, we're predictable. Um, but, yes. the, but the program that we come in with, um, is we're not all, we're not all subjectively predictable. You, you're predictable in your own way. And I'm predictable right. in my own way. We came with a program. We can be shaped. I, I've got a, a particularly difficult kid who is um, taking all of my time to figure out how to crack this code to make this kid um, more sociable, you know, and, and, right. and so it's like, I'm really trying to um, Aristotle talked about ethics in terms of, it was almost like a forge or something like that. You know, it's like you come into this world bent a certain way as a piece of metal and you have to bend and bit and you have to heat it. And you have to bang on it, you know, by every little decision. And as kids, it's your parents making the decisions for you and trying to trying to make you see and to, to bend that rod into something a little more straight, right? Um, mm-hmm. that, that that can be a contributor or or whatever, a good member of society, or, or happy in the case of Aristotle, to be a a happy individual in society. And that's what you want for your kids to be happy. That's what my mom wanted for me. Um, and happiness, I guess, to bring this back is um, it's, you know, the, 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 there is, a, I feel like there is a sliver of free will in there and it's um, your, and your parents have to help guide you to make free will choices that can make you happier, you know, it's, right. 
It's, yeah. It's, the other thing that you said that really resonated with me with my four kids, each one of them came out with their pretty much who they are, you mm -hmm. know, there were babies, but when we go back and look at the pictures, now they're 20 and 18, 21, they're like, they were the same people. They kind of came out with their little personalities. Uh -huh. they, I, I think they do come out with people are born kind of how they are. Yeah. I really believe that. And then, you know, given, given, pro, given a, a more careful education and uh, through parenting and through the culture around them, you, you can try to get the, the get the, uh, what's the word? Not, bad is not the right word or try or, or, or try to um try to get them out of their bad habits that they come equipped with you know right and and some kids get that kind of care and some kids don't you know yep yep absolutely i just i think your story's fascinating man to see to come it's just really great and to see how you've dealt with it as an art as an artist you know what i mean mm -hmm. to, to deal with your to incorporate your story into your work as an artist and then have it be commercially viable the way it is is it's an amazing story man Thank that's you. all i'm saying congratulations it's an amazing story and i think people are going to love that the documentary uh and the and the album um i love i love everything i've seen that you've done man i just think you're fantastic appreciate that i could talk to you man i could talk to you for yeah, eight yeah, we hours could, we keep this one going we could <laughs> yeah yeah we could just i can tell i can already tell we could get a six pack of bush light and we probably <laughs> talk till about three in the morning um just love everything you're doing man uh congratulations uh i know this record's gonna do great for you and miranda's singing on the is it a single the first it's, one is called polyester or it's got a feature track the first feature track called polyester so it's it's out it's out now and you should be able to grab grab a hold of that but the record's coming out too and um man i just i'll enjoyed this conversation and appreciate the, the grace and you included me here oh it's our pleasure this is luke dick he's got a new uh by the time this airs his uh record from his documentary red dog will be available on all platforms check it out check him out give him a google this guy is amazing luke dick this is pitchless thanks for listening Thanks for listening to this episode of Pitch List. To hear songs written and or recorded by today's guest, check out this week's playlist by finding us on Spotify at Pitch List Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your preferred listening platform. And if you want, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review. For more exclusive content from this week's guest and more, you can visit our website at pitchlistpodcast.com or follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening to Pitch List this season. Please stay tuned for a brand new season in 2021. <laughs>